Welcome to the Signal Line Remote Viewing Podcast, a podcast owned and run by Daz Smith from RemoteViewed.com, the resource for everything remote viewing. This podcast is dedicated to sharing remote viewing related interviews, views, news, resources, and much more. Hi, and welcome. Today's podcast was an open remote viewing discussion on October the 8th, 2021. Lots of very interesting topics were discussed. I hope you enjoyed the show. Take care. Sorry, guys, I'm just going to start the recording on it, just in case we talk about anything interesting that we might miss. <laughs> yeah, the mushroom cloud thing was definitely La Palma, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, I did precog news as well, although I only did it halfway through the month. I did it on the 16th, I think. And I got a volcano with an observatory on it. And then two days later, La Palma went up. Yeah. I didn't get a mushroom cloud, though. So, Well, it was interesting that lots of different remote viewing groups, all independently in the same you know, short period of a few weeks, came up with strange mushroom cloud events. I found, I found that really, really interesting. Because even uh, Don posted something, you know, and Don went a step further than than I did, and I think in critically because Don actually, if if he's not here at the moment, but he sometimes comes along, um, he actually said volcano in his RV session. Yeah, um, he did. Yeah, it was spot on. Yeah, yeah. I didn't get I didn't get a volcano and fire and lava in in any way. So all good to Don on that one. I think Farsight pretty accurate as well. I think they got, you know, uh, Mushroom Cloud events as well. So, yeah. Good Presumably month. Farsight reported that it was caused by a UFO, did they? <laughs> the Galactic Federation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> we best not go down that route, I don't think. <laughs> what I noticed with uh, Farsight is that they're free course is not free anymore they they have it now on prime on their prime thing oh. is that is that the videos of srv everything they had on srv for free you know the videos the audios everything oh wow all taken yeah, down off youtube yeah they're taken off youtube and now it's on 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 farsight prime oh on the off chance yeah. that anybody actually wants to watch that stuff i know somebody who downloaded it all so Hop onto the Discord. Uh, I have a lot of it as well. I have all the audio and all the manuals. In fact, I even have a, an SRV uh, manual, the very first one, but I only have it in paper form because it's the first manual that I used and trained with, and that was in that was in the early nineties. So I had that. And to be honest, it was actually it was actually quite good back then. The early version, it wasn't um, it wasn't as complex as as these later versions are. Maybe I should uh, scan it in and put it online, but it's quite thick. I think it's about 120 pages or so. But uh, just let you guys know, I have been putting lots of stuff online today on YouTube. I've put uh, what did I put online? I put the the Real X Files uh, documentary from the early 90s, I think 94 online. I put uh, Secret Rulers of the World free part documentary. That's that's interesting because it's got lots of prudent stuff and lots of interviews with lots of people in it. It's a bit wacky, but it's it's good to watch. 
Is it right now in your in your, in your YouTube? Yes, yeah, it's on in my YouTube. Um, what else did I put online? Um, I have to Dames. be. Yeah, I put the Ed, I put the Ed Dames very first TRV uh, training set of tapes online as well. Um, they're really good as well because it's very, very in the early days. It's very close to original uh, Ingus One CRV. Um, and as well as the training tapes, there's like a an hour and a half long uh, documentary about Solitech and how they went public and stuff. And that's called the Impossible Challenge. Uh, yeah, well, I see it here. That's yeah. cool. How do you get those? Uh, to be honest, I've had all this stuff for years. Other than the, the Solitech tapes, because people send me stuff. So someone sent me oh, those. Nice. They said they, they had them on VHS tape uh, that they bought years ago uh, and they were going to get rid of them. Then would I like a copy? Nice. Thank you. Yeah, this is great. To be honest, kind of I stuff. might get in trouble at some point for posting it all online because it's copyright of other people. But I have put a little note on there that I'm only doing it for uh, for history and prosperity's sake because, you know, this kind of stuff on VHS is going to disappear. Uh, and yeah, I'm not making. Sure not making any money on any of the videos on on youtube that's all turned off now i've yeah. downloaded them all there's a um program called youtube dl which lets you download stuff off youtube so i was like i'm not going to watch however many days worth of video this is now but just in case Daz gets hit with a takedown notice yeah. copyright strikes for 1990s vhs tapes <laughs> I have got another one as well. I didn't put this one online though, but I did find it today. Let me see if I can get it off my list. Um, where is my list? Um, and this is a great one as well. I was going to put it online. It's called Mind Dazzle, and it's another one by Ed Dames. Um, mm -hmm. But I didn't put it online because I found that someone else had put it online. So I just saved the link instead. So I'll share that in the chat now. But that's worth looking at as well because, again, it's another very early RV do it by video training method that Ed Dames come up with and I'll just add that to the link here so it's called Mind Dazzle um, yeah that's on someone else's channel but yeah I would yeah if you're interested in RV I would recommend finding a way to download that or keep that as well that's one and a half hours that's that's an interesting one as well which one Daz? it's in the chat list there it's called Mind Dazzle Oh man, does didn't he have a, a a board game called Mind Dazzle or something like that too? He did, yes, yeah. I think I this might have accompanied it. I'm dying to see that one. I have I've been looking for years, and I haven't been able to see it. Well, it's it's on there, so that's interesting. You know, I'm not saying anyone should follow it as a remote viewing method, but it's worth looking at and how they do it. They yeah. use a temp template system. Yeah, you know, historical value, you know? Yes, yes. Excellent. So does anyone have anything they want to discuss at the moment? I did see someone with their hand up, but it's gone at the moment. That was Erica. Erica, did you want to say yeah, something? Yeah, that was me. I typed my question, actually, in the chat, and um, I had an idea. I have some problems with front-loading. You know, we have um, things happening, at least in my country, where I'm right now living. So... Um, so I decided, well, maybe I could just mix it with other targets and de-identify them all. And well, I wouldn't really know. Well, it does, it's not up to me. It's just the idea was to mix with other targets. And I thought, I hope it would not contaminate the actual um, target as such, which is, like, which is 
the most discussed global news, I guess, for for November. Does that make sense? Or is it's, it is it's possible to do do it that way? I just find that, and everyone may be different on this, but my approach is that every time I do RV, dependent on what the project is, my my flavor of CRE changes towards what the what what I'm getting information for. So it's you know, if I know if I know that I'm looking for a missing person, then my I have to I I pull out a whole new set of tools in CRV than I would do if I was looking at a cryptocurrency. And if I'm looking at the news, it it's completely my you know my version or flavor of CRV is completely different, dependent on what's needed by the client really. And hiding it would mean that I might accidentally not use the the right toolkit for the for the job. So you're front loading your yourself a bit for those tasks that you mentioned for it. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you're working a missing person task, really the missing person isn't knowing isn't the, the target, uh, and knowing that you're working a missing target. I mean, even if the missing person were the target, you're talking one of billions, so you're still pretty front. You're still pretty blind. Um, but really, when you're looking for a missing person target, then the the target that the police want to know about isn't actually the missing person itself, because they obviously know about the missing person. They know what their name is, you know, where they come from, all that kind of stuff. What they actually want off you is a GPS location. So knowing you're working a missing target, a missing person target, all that tells you, because it doesn't tell you anything about the location of that person. What it does tell you, though, is you need to pull out of your bag some very good descriptive and tools to find a find a location um and for me that would involve um a certain amount of you know describing the location from from key points of interest and and doing uh, a mapping technique and stuff so being front load you know you can work front loaded uh, as long as the front loading doesn't really tell you anything specific about the targets okay and, and when you know when i work when i am i am and all the people we work cryptos uh we know we're working a crypto target um it, it's a growing target pool uh i think i saw today is nearly up at 13 13,000. so it's growing at the rate of 200 new ones every month at the moment so yeah i'm when we're working cryptos we know we're front loaded and it's going to be one target out of twelve thousand eight hundred. Okay, so yeah, so it's pretty much a bag of tools, and uh, yeah, yeah. But I think I'll try this one. I'll try to de-identify and see what happens. Yeah, everyone, try your own methods. Go for it, John. I think you wanted to add something. Yeah, thanks, um, Jeff Mishlove published uh, the interview with me that he did a week or so ago, and I wanted to make two additions to that, or two corrections or clarifications. I don't know if uh, very many people have seen it yet, but I wanted to make these because we didn't, I didn't get to do it on the video. And the first is that, although it's in the book, some of this is in the book, um, that it's important uh, for success in the lottery to, at least for experience I've had, is to use future dates, not just the given date, but dates in, in the future. And someone else that I was working with suggested that idea. Um, and it's not a new idea and people do it on, um, lottery posts and other places where they'll just bet for a whole week 20 numbers 20 states that's kind of cat scattershot but if you use a more targeted method uh and just the first four days in particular the statistics show that you'll get more hits so i wanted i should have mentioned that i wanted to mention that i didn't get back to it 
in the interview with Jeff. And also, uh, Elisa's here, and she was also a person that I was working closely with with the lottery um, for a while, and she was getting some good results too. So uh, that's, I don't know if she wanted to, to talk about that at all, but uh, she's very talented in many ways, and particularly she got some good results on, on the lottery. And uh, just a second point was, uh, although it's a different topic, um, I mentioned uh, groups that are conducting um, work with clients, paying clients, and I've often mentioned uh, Iris in France and also um, Gail Husick's group in Seattle. Now, Gail has told several of us that she's either uh, going on a hiatus or shutting down, I, I, mainly, I think, just a hiatus. But um, Sandra Hilliard wrote me yesterday and said, why don't you mention me too? And the only reason I hadn't was that I didn't know that she had a lot of paying customers and apparently she does, she, they're flooding in. So there's a third group that uses CRV that uh, has successful um, client work going. And if there are any others, uh, I, I'd like to mention those too when it comes up. Uh, lately, I guess I've been commenting on, online and stuff. So Dan Daz mentioned that too about Gail's group and it's not active right now. So if it, people know of any other groups uh, that are you know, doing paying clients, hard targets and stuff like that, I think we should spread the word. Now there are individuals like Daz does, some and other folks do as individuals, Joe McMonagle and Angela Thompson-Smith had clients. So there are individuals out there but if they're different groups, whatever country they're in, it would be really good to start publicizing them because there are so few. So those are the two points I wanted to raise about uh, yeah. my uh, talk with Jeff Mishla. I think uh, Brett Stewart's doing really well. I mean, he, uh, I don't know if he has a formal group, but he does run lots of remote viewers on projects. Right, yeah. And also, as we know, on crypto, and he has one paying customer, a crypto customer, uh, according to him. And he says he'll release the results of that uh, at the end of the year or next year um, because he, he recognized that without publishing statistics, no, you know, people can say anything, but you need to show your statistics if you're going to be believed. Thanks for that, John. Okay. Does anyone else uh, have anything they want to share, want to ask? Uh, do you reckon we might be able to get Henny to talk about her latest project later? Would you be willing to stand up? Oh, go for it, Don. Okay, yeah, I wanted to ask John, um, John, I got your book, but I haven't had a chance to read it. There is just so much going on anymore these days with the shows that you can watch on YouTube and, uh, you know, Gaia and whatever, like, uh, I'm really running out of time. I even asked Des how he's able to keep up with his schedule since I can't even keep up with mine and he does more than I do. But um, the, the thing that I wanted to ask you, uh, first of all, I didn't completely understand that bit about the lottery thing, about uh, using the future dates. Could you say a little bit more about that, please? Sure. Well, most people, when they bet the lottery, they'll just buy a ticket for the given day or draw today, the 8th of October. That, in my opinion, is a mistake. You should always buy for the 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th or at least go back and buy in those subsequent days because the statistics I compiled on my own lottery work and that uh, the two folks I was working with also compiled, uh, also had some st stats that suggest that um, you get far more hits than you would think by betting the first, second uh, and third and fourth day or, or, or the first and second and fourth draw, depending on how you're doing it. Um, there's just uh, Joe McMonagall and Ingo Swan, as we point out in our book, comment that time 
is a little bit fuzzy, apparently, when it comes to size. Joe McMonagle even says, what if I told you that um, every time someone remote views, they get a little bit into the past, a little bit into the future, and nobody talks about it. He says, he put, this is in his book, on The Ultimate Time Machine, in one of the other books. And Ingo Swan said uh, something similar when he was trying to predict um, some symbols and letters and numbers that were coming up in sequence. He said, sometimes they just all pile up, waiting to be called, they all pile up, you can see them, if you can maintain your um, mental framework, you can call them correctly. So he too thought that, and he said explicitly the time kind of gets fuzzy when he was trying to do that. So those two top guys saying that time's a little bit tricky here, um, it appears that you can harness it in the lottery uh, and perhaps in other areas too. So I don't know if that's clearer, Don, that's about as clear as I could make it, I think. No, that that does explain exactly what uh, uh, the confusion that I had, okay. and. Um, uh, the other thing that I guess I wanted to ask, and uh, I know this is cheating, but since I have not yet had a chance to read your book, did you, in your research, did you have like a favorite section that you thought was like, you know, particularly interesting? No, every chapter is dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, no, you know, well, I favored the lottery because uh, Deborah didn't really have any experience there and because I'd had some success and other people had had success, I was really keen on that. Also on alphanumerics because that's like the last frontier or a, or a frontier we haven't conquered yet. But, you know, other people may have other interests, not so much in that. And Deborah has, you know, skills in explaining things. So some of the chapters on how to run a project and uh, all sorts of things. So, and we have 20 contributors in there who, who did work uh, in remote viewing and ARE in particular. So they're all very interesting. Um, but yeah, that's, that was my favorite, but may not be yours. All right. Thanks a lot. Sure. As we're on the cryptos thing, uh, Paul asked a question in the chat. Can you short cryptos as well as buy them? Uh, you can. I don't know much about doing that myself. That's too risky a strategy for me. Um, I think Brett might do it. David, do you know if Brett does that? I've got no idea. Um, I, th I think maybe this is not financial advice, but <laughs> certain exchanges offer yeah. products, the nature of which I'm not really certain of, which are equivalent allegedly to shorting cryptos but yeah um yeah whether it's a real short or not or just a sort of yeah i think robin robin hood's one of them isn't it i, I, I don't know um yeah. i'm not the right person to ask about cryptos um grin spicket probably knows but i don't think he's here this evening yeah yeah i'm sure you can i'm sure you can do it on uh apps like robin hood maybe etoro uh and others and I think you can uh, leverage them as well, but I haven't gone down that route as well because I've seen people leveraging uh, cryptos and trades for. Well, Warren Buffett says leverage is the only way a smart man can go broke. Might yeah. not be Warren Buffett, actually, to be fair, but somebody does. It seems crazy. Some people are leveraging 10 times the value that they're putting in, and then when it crashes, you know, they, they owe big. So I stay away from anything like that, to be honest. You know, uh, who was it who asked it? It was Paul. Uh, to be honest, Paul, I would just do what the rest of us are doing. Use your intuition and the information and buy at the right time and then sell at the right time. Uh, and it's 
pretty easy to to make a fairly decent amount of money out there many of us are doing it brett's doing it to great effect we're doing it in in crypto viewing all on our own to great effects as well and you know uh it's it's easy to do it's a it's the crest i mean it's something new it's like the internet was way back in the mid to, to late 90s you know it was new it's fresh it was the wild west anything could happen and you you had all these naysayers saying oh the internet's rubbish is never going to go anywhere it's only just for computer geeks and yet look at it now you know this decade or two later is pretty much controls every part of our lives and that that's what I, many of us believe that's going to happen with cryptocurrencies uh, and blockchain technology it's just that we're way ahead of the uh the curve and the wave right now um but it's, it's definitely coming you can see it in everyday life like literally i just read the news today just before i came on and here in the uk um people don't use cash as much anymore because of covid you know people didn't want to touch cash so they were using cards and you know there's all the cards now i guess you all got them where you just touch your card and it, it gets on the machine the rate started off at i think 15 pounds in the uk limit on that in COVID, it went up to £45, and starting from, I think, next week in the UK, the rate of that's jumped up to £100 for each transaction. So it's becoming commonplace now for, you know, these kind of new credit digital ways of doing things, and cash is becoming less and less and less in, in society. I'd like to add to that. Um, if you think you're late for Bitcoin, and I was late for it, um, Grin on Reddit is really looking into NFTs, non-fungible tokens, and Daz too has mentioned it. And I just don't have the time right now to get into it, but I would recommend someone who wants to jump into this, try, try to research NFTs and see what's going on there. It may fade, it may not, but uh, I think it won't actually. I think there's something there that Grin has spotted and Daz too. Non-fungible tokens, check it out. Yeah, it's grown massively. It's become a 1.4 trillion business in, I think, 12 months. It's just absolutely massive uh, and it's all based on a technology called non-fungible tokens and essentially anything can be digitized and put on the blockchain um uh, and they're doing a lot with uh, a lot of rare rare kind of artworks and pieces of art at the moment that's what's really uh really going really fast at the moment but you know it's really good for things like items in games if any of you play games you can you can buy and sell and trade them on on the NFT space blockchain as well. Um, yeah, it's becoming really big and uh, lots of money to be made in it at the moment. Paul, you got your hands up. Do you wanna do you wanna chat and ask? Uh, yeah, thanks, Daz. I, I appreciate uh, what you and everybody else is saying about uh, <clears throat> about buying cryptos at the right time and selling them at the right time. M my personal interest for probably 40 years now has been futures uh, trading. And uh, <clears throat> this is um, something that's not for the faint of heart. Uh, the, the the trick is to have proper money management so you only use the proper proportion of your capital and that you have uh, fairly tight stops so that if you lose your internet connection, you're out. Uh, if uh, things go bad or if you're uh, you know, you don't have to make a choice. If things are going bad, you're out. <clears throat> and um, the the thing that I have found that works, uh, I mean, I've tried remote viewing. I, I'm not uh, having, a, you know, I can, I can very successfully remote view, but for some reason, every time I turn to cryptos, it's like less than 50-50. So I've gone back to, uh, I don't know, understand why that happens, but it's just the way I, 
Uh, it works with me. And what I've done is I've gone back to traditional trend analysis, and that seems to work quite well. Um, as long as you have the uh, money management proper proportion and the stops, <clears throat> the, what? But <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, in the U.S., uh, the uh, CME now has micro Bitcoin uh, futures, which is uh, got a very low margin, and um, it, it it gives you really you know, fantastic leverage, it's like 80 to one. Um, and uh, the, uh, uh, if you're able to successfully trade futures, which probably one person in a hundred can do, it, it's really quite nice. The, there are elsewhere in the, in the world, like in Asia, they have uh, Ethereum futures. In Switzerland, they have probably a dozen different uh, futures on crypto. So, so it's another, you know, if, if someone like me that whose remote viewing capability seems to draw a line when it comes to cryptos, uh, this, this is something that's uh, another option. But you, you have to understand that if you go into this fresh, your chances of success are uh, extraordinarily small. Uh, you know, you need to have a lot of experience and a lot of a lot of uh, discipline and a lot of training. And uh, so I just, you know, but my personal interest is um, cryptos to, uh, to futures. Yeah. I mean, I've tried doing remote viewing for some reason, I just personally can't do it. I can do it for everything else, but I can't do it without, I don't know why. Okay, yeah. Paul, uh, are you aware of the work we, we do at crypto viewing? Cause we have a, uh... We have a guy that works for us called Marty Hibbs. He does a lot of futures, um, and him and Dick do uh, weekly weekly uh, analysis of futures and crypto charts. Well, you know, I find uh, uh, the returns with uh, conventional crypto trading to be quite boring. To be honest with you, uh, the I know they're successful, and I respect that, and it sure beats just you know buying a uh, a fund on the uh, you know a stock exchange fund or something like that but if you can do futures trading you can leave that stuff all that stuff in the dust but like i say it's one person out of 100 that can do that successfully yeah well if you get a chance i would recommend you have a look at see what marty does because I, I i i don't follow it immensely but he does he does go through it every week and he does do quite a lot of futures. He was doing soya beans and all kinds of stuff recently uh, on video. And him and Dick were making quite a bit of money with that as well. Who is it? Can you put it in the chat? Um, it's it's videos that go out to the subscribers, to be honest, uh, of, of CryptoView. And I can put a link in the chat and so you can have a look at it. I don't know if they have a have an element where people can trial and have a look at the stuff. Um, but I like what Marty does. He, he knows his charts and, you know, he shows you his... Uh, his stop points and his sell points and buy points and gives you all the indicators and that kind of stuff. As I said, it's not all futures, but he does look at futures futures in there with it. You know, they always look at things like gold, silver. Uh, I know they did soybeans because I thought that was interesting when they were describing how much they made and why they were buying that and stuff. I'll see if I can get a link to you in some way now. 
Thank you, sir. Um, anyone else uh, want to put their hand out, have anything to say, or should we go to the uh, chat box and have a look at what's in there? Go for it, Don. Okay, um, John, are you still are you still here? Yeah, I'm still here. Okay, um, I guess I wanted to go over. I was just typing you a message, but I might as well just ask it. Um, I wanted to go over how the exact way someone might perceive the digits out of a six-digit lottery number. Um, the way that I was doing it, and I actually got four out of six one time. The way, the way I did it was uh, the New Jersey Lottery, uh, they have a web page that shows the winner, the big winner for that particular lottery. And each of the numbers is in a bubble. So what I did was I screen grabbed that, that graphic, dropped it into Photoshop, removed the numbers. So now the bubbles were empty. And then I would just go through them one by one by one. The, the first trick that I had was you try to decide whether the first bubble has one element or two. In other words, a single digit number or a two digit number. If you only perceive one thing in there, that makes it a little bit easier. And then you go to the next one and the next one and the next one. I had problems with reversals. In other words, getting sixes instead of nines. Um, fives instead of threes, a uh, little bit similar shapes kind of a thing. But anyway, that was just what I did. Um, I don't do it very often. And uh, did you come up with anything sort of like that? Or did you, you know, have a technique for it? Yeah, unfortunately, I could talk about this for an hour or two. But um, <laughs> uh, and in the book there, you know, we have like two chapters on the lottery, one by uh, myself and one by Sean uh, McNamara, who's also been exploring it. And I also list a document that I posted on 10,000 roads years ago that listed like 31 different remote viewing methods to try to get numbers. So um, I don't, you know, methods will vary with with people's uh, preferences. For example, a guy named Kahu Dave in Hawaii, really unique guy, been very successful in getting a very major lottery, which he didn't want us to talk about because he's writing a book himself. But he also has uh, success in uh, the the casinos and all that. And some people say, well, that's so money grubbing. No, no, no. Dave wants to build a, a center for children in Hawaii and his, his Hawaiian ancestors are helping him, he feels, getting some hits. And so he posts videos about his method, which involves drawing uh, a little cartoon for each one of say 69 numbers and then remote viewing and finding out which of those cartoons he actually draws that correspond to the winning numbers. So that's a completely different method from anything I would do. And uh, he's very bold and brave in posting that stuff day after day, week after week. And he's won a couple hundred dollars several times. I think he had four numbers like you did once, mostly mm -hmm. times he doesn't get that. Um, so I have my own methods, which I've uh, you know mentioned in detail in the book, uh, but I'll just mention one other method that, that we also talk about a woman in Massachusetts, we know a remote viewer, Daz has seen the data, we've seen the, uh, the proof that she won $101,000 using an interoceptive method where she would um, find out what the body signal was going to be for whether one of 39 numbers was a hit or not. And she said it varies, it can vary from day to day, although she was actually 
just doing this on a lark. Her, her uh, partner was the one who wanted to bet this. So she said she found out that her, when her throat tightened up a certain way, when she pointed at a given number, that would indicate it, that it was going to be one of the winning numbers. And she had a sinking feeling in her tummy indicating when it wasn't going to be. So she had a completely different method from Dave or me, uh, an interoceptive method. And you have a different one and other people have tried things like putting their hands on the lottery ticket and dousing that, you know, there's all kinds of ways to do it. So whatever you find works for you. If you had four hits out of uh, the, a big six figure lottery, that's, that's impressive. So it, it does vary quite a bit. Uh, it was, uh, you know, that one day where I had the four and I was like, you know, you, you, you go by the numbers one by one as you're doing it. And after I got to four, I really got nervous because like, you know, five and six gets into the big money, which I didn't right. get. But the thing was, um, uh, yeah, there's like, I felt like there was a real, you know, you know, I don't know. I, I, I think I thought, well, I got four this time. I'll just get five the next time, and then I'll get the six the next time. And of course, it never turned out that way. And that's where I sort of like stepped back and didn't yeah. do it anymore. But anyway, uh, yeah, I appreciate, you know, your ideas there. There's the idea of like having 69 um, different ideograms or drawings for each of the yeah. digits. Wow, that's... Let me, yeah, let me just add one thing that I'm self-critical for not spending more time trying to find existing numbers, past numbers, you know, where you could get telephones and, and it would be so helpful to be able to get addresses and telephones for good purposes and also for, you know, for missing people and murders and stuff. Unfortunately, it would be misused too. But Deborah, my co-author, is going to run a study this fall with, uh, I think, with Michelle uh, about alphanumerics, and I'll probably take part in that. And I'm doing my own inquiries into that and gathering materials to try to view existing numbers, not future numbers. You mean past winners? No, no, nothing to do with the lottery, just numbers per se, because they, we were told from the beginning that you can't get numbers and words very easily, or you can't get them at all. But the Stargate Archives volumes actually show that the results were better than what we've been led to believe. If you read those archives, there were some interesting experiments there. So I've you know, been tabulating all that and I'm gonna try some more experiments. And, and uh, as I say, Deborah's also gonna mobilize and try to, so other, a few other people have also emailed me, they wanna work on this too. So we'll see how it goes, but rather than just the lottery, you know, which has its merits, it was very difficult, even if you go for pick three and pick four, let's see if we can actually make a breakthrough with existing numbers or past numbers. Uh, sometimes called present numbers, you know, as opposed to future numbers. Sounds good. All right. Thank you. Okay. Sure. Excellent, guys. Uh, Sasha, you've had your hand up for a while. Would you like to ask your question or comment? Well, thank you. I just wanted to comment on this. Um, I know we've all heard of the 100th monkey effect, where if enough individuals learn how to do something, then it seems to be easier to pick up. Um, by other individuals. And I know that in chemistry, when they're synthesizing new crystal lattices, once it's synthesized in one lab, it just seems, well, it, it is a lot easier than to synthesize it in other labs. So that has negative consequences when we think of gain of function for viruses, um, because then when you're creating a synthetic virus um, that's more dangerous than what's in the wild, you're actually increasing the odds that that 
mutated virus will show up in the wild. But when it comes to remote viewing lottery numbers and just numbers in general, it would then seem that the more people remote view numbers, then maybe the easier it will be to do for other remote viewers. So it, it seems as though maybe we're mm, creating a kind of template uh, in, I don't know, the ether, the information stream, whatever you want to call it. Once that ether is created and set, it's a little bit easier to access by others. So I'm wondering if people think there are effects to that. So the original remote viewers that trained under Ingo and the military remote viewers tend to have this theory that we've tested everything, we've tried it all, and this is what works and this is what doesn't work. But if this theory is correct, that you can actually create templates in the system, um, that would mean that even though something may not have worked in the 1970s or 80s, it could still work now if enough people are learning how to do that specific thing, like remote view numbers. I don't know. Can I ask you a question? Do you mean uh, like the hundredth monkey effect? Is that what you're talking about? Or numinosity due to a lot of people doing this at once? Well, it's similar to that, but I, so the hundredth monkey, I mentioned that at the beginning because that's what people are familiar with, but in science, it is a recognized phenomenon that once you synthesize a compound or a crystal lattice, it actually then is easier to synthesize it in other labs. So there does seem to be an effect where once you create a template in reality, um, then that's easier to recreate. Well, um, Roger Bannister broke the four minute mile and sure enough, there were many other people who finally broke it. They, they, for a while, they thought it was impossible. This was back in 1954 or something, maybe because there's been a couple of big lottery wins uh, and some smaller ones, maybe that'll help cre start creating the hundredth monkey effect too. Now that people are paying more attention to it and publicizing it, so we'll see. Yeah, go for yes. it, have some ideas on that. Yeah, and I think it's, it's just a, maybe a reminder that okay, we don't want to waste our time doing things that have been proven not to work, but at the same time, we can't be too rigid, I think, in taking that advice. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Guys, I think the problem we've had with numbers to date, generally, is that people jump on the bandwagon of trying to RV numbers, but in, in predictive scenarios or money-winning scenarios rather than anyone going out and actually trying to learn themselves how to RV numbers and then maybe at a later date when they get a successful at doing that then move on to doing future-based things. I think where we've gone wrong so far is most people are trying to do two hard things at the exact same time because numbers we know are inherently hard and they're adding that to the same time to trying to predict and maybe change lots of lives by winning money which I think overcomplicates it at the same time. Okay, bear with me a second, just letting some people in. Um, so let's have a look at the list here. John, uh, I just want to see, because uh, you said a comment earlier in the chat window, and I, I do agree with you that uh, the crypto viewing marketing team, because it's not us as remote viewers that put out all the stuff about hits. We have a we have a group of five marketing people, social media people that put those out. So I do agree with you that I wouldn't class half the stuff that they put out at as as being hits. But in regard to the mushroom crowd one, I would definitely class that as a hit because that was five remote viewers all said they physically saw 
the mushroom cloud on that month and all it you know, it's been on every news station and there's 10 live camera news feeds to it so it is like the top story news story of of last month i would say well i'm i'm glad to hear that you uh, that we agree on that to, to, that some of those are not actual hits so we can't verify them but what about the volcano wasn't there some interpretation by someone in the crypto viewing ecosystem or sphere that it wasn't just a volcano it was some sort of financial um, explosion didn't, didn't I see that I haven't followed it closely you may be right but I thought that um, I don't think a, so a all, all, no? all five viewers had you know pretty much not identical images but very similar images of an actual physical explosion with buildings and structures you know in, in the vicinity of it I don't think that's symbolic in any way of of you know the financials I mean we do get financial stuff at the same time in the same RV session but there's yeah. a there's a clear lineage between different things on it, I believe. Yeah. Well, there's so many uh, volcanic eruptions every week, every day. Uh, but they, yeah, the, but they don't that... become global news like this one did. Uh, true. Very few of them become global news. Yeah. So you may be right. I haven't looked at it closely. but uh, I mean, you know, all I can say is for myself, my key was top global news of, of the month. And the volcano was the top global news of the month. And it's, you know, it's probably still is, and maybe even more so this month with all the, you know, ongoing YouTube feeds for it and everything that are live all the time. Um, so I, that's all I can say on, yeah. on, on that really. Um, but yeah, I do agree that a lot of the stuff that the marketers do pick up on, because they're probably not trained remote viewers, they're marketers, I wouldn't class as being such valid hits because I think they're a bit, uh, a bit obscure. Okay, fair enough. Thank you. Excellent. Is there any more questions in the chat window? I'm just trying to read through them a bit. Uh, and also, yeah, um, about the time thing as well. It was interesting to hear you say that, John, about the time being a bit fuzzy because uh, although I don't really agree with it, but Dick's been saying that for years in all our videos. He, uh, when he does predictive stuff, especially for the news, he allows himself, even though we kind of set the target of looking a month ahead for the news he sets himself in a personal target of if it happens within 30 days or more after that month has ended he still classes it as a hit because he says his his way of rv working can't can't stop and delineate when when a month stops it doesn't know to, to stop well that's something else we don't know maybe people, maybe he's right maybe people have different time um ranges in their subconscious or that they're in touch with forces that enable them to remote view within certain ranges of time and not narrower ones. So yeah. it's possible, but uh, as you raised, there's some, some questions about whether some of these vague ones are actually hits and I haven't looked at dicks either. So I don't really know. Yeah. 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 I don't subscribe to that. I'm a bit more harsh on myself. You know, it's if, if I'm doing a project of looking at news in the next month, my my cutoff date is is the month and anything that happens after that i won't class it as a hit um but yeah he he has the same kind of idea about time he thinks it's a bit more fuzzy and you can't stop your subconscious going onwards a couple of days if it if it sees a big event that it wants to tell you about that's that's all i can say on that one really yeah. uh anyone got anything they want to share or ask then because i don't think we have many questions at the moment Just read them through them a second. Uh, no, I think we've covered all the ones in the chat. Yeah, go for it, John. 
I'm just reiterating. So does anybody here in this chat know of other groups or one or two people who have a company that have paying clients, whether they use CRV or natural or whatever methods? Um, because I say, as I say, we maybe name four groups and selected individuals. I believe, uh, I hello, hello, John, hello, everyone. I believe the German groups have some such uh, uh, projects uh, involving clients, but I'm not very, very sure about. Maybe I'll find out and, and post uh, in, in the next uh, uh, chats or something. Are you but, referring to Hypoventi? Yeah, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, it'd be good to find out about them and also the Austrian school, which claimed to have been able to pay quite a few viewers actually, part-time and full-time, and they sort of disappeared. They had a public relations person or representative rather, who was gonna to come to the remote viewing community and did for a while, that was several years ago. Haven't heard word from them lately, I, but that's good, yeah. I, I vaguely remember they came up with a, a, an issue. They couldn't look farther than a certain amount of days outwards. They came up with a hiccup and it, yeah, they just couldn't view past, was it something oh. like 30, 30 days, 90 days or something? I, I don't know. I'll have to have a look back through my emails. I do remember reading some stuff on that a year or two ago uh, that came about in crypto viewing because I think we were talking to them about some stuff at one point and they, they I vaguely remember something about an issue where all their viewers. I think they had around about a hundred or two hundred on the books at one point. Quite a few. Um, well, in training or or also working, yeah. Uh, working on the books, if I remember yeah. correctly. I, I I know it was definitely over a hundred. Um, yeah, I vaguely remember they they just could not get over a certain point in time. Uh, the accuracy massively decreased or something after they went like after thirty days or something. So to put a point on it. Um, so we know that there have been thousands and thousands of people trained in CRV and offshoots, but in particular, some of the ex-military trainers have trained hundreds and hundreds of people. I'm wondering if there are any active businesses among those folks, you know, Paul Smith students or uh, Lynn Buchanan students. Uh, can, can anyone name anyone who's actually conducting a business there? Because the aura that, that the impression I get is that yes, there are such businesses. Okay. Yeah, no, I, you know, I think you've mentioned all the ones that, that I, I pretty much know of. Other than you, you do hear the odd, the odd person getting the odd uh, paid piece of work. But I don't think it's like, I don't think you can class that as a, as a, an ongoing full-time business or anything. Yeah. And just to be clear, I mean, it's super difficult as we, as Daz and I know, because we tried it in Aurora and now Daz was successful as a solo um, uh, and when you have a group, it's, it can be very difficult and it's also very hard as a solo, but you know, there are some, I know there's some uh, people out offering, um, I guess John Stewart is one of the fellows who has a small business in Pennsylvania. And of course, Deborah has, uh, there, there are also people who give lots of, uh, advice, I guess, and life coaching and, and that, and, and that's, uh, but I'm talking more about hard target businesses where there's a def definite product or, or something that the viewer is. I think, you know, yeah. I think that you know uh, and try not to blow our own trumpet but I think the two most successful is, is us in Farsight I mean you may not see it as a cl uh, client relationship but the subscribers are paying clients did you say Farsight also yeah yeah mm -hmm.
They have pay, you know, their subscribers, they have thousands of them. They're essentially paying clients yeah. and they're giving them a product. But, you know, it's the both models from both of us are completely different than what everyone else is offering because it's it's infotainment rather than information. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, that's true about Farsight. I haven't followed them either because of that little blow up I had with Courtney uh, about our book. Uh, I don't know. I'll just mention it briefly uh, for people who might not have heard or might be interested. Um, I wrote up some chapter material for the book that Deborah and I have just published on Associated Remote Viewing. And it involves some of Courtney Brown's experiments, uh, one with the lottery and also with crypto predictions. And I read all his uh, materials. I watched his videos. I commented. Uh, I mean, I made uh, notes. I wrote it all up. And I sent it to Courtney to ask him uh, what he thought of it. And he wrote back saying, because I think he's a very inventive guy, he's a brilliant guy, um, but uh, there's some problems with the way he works. Anyway, he wrote back and saying, I want to keep this friendly. I respect you guys, but you completely misunderstand what I'm doing. You don't under, you can't talk about it. You don't understand it. Uh, and I was so uh, angry when I saw him get angry that I said, Deborah, would you reply to him? I'm not going to even reply to him anymore. So that was the end of that. So um, it is what it is. We have a different ways of doing things. He's been very successful in some, some ways and certainly publicizing remote viewing in his own unique uh, intergalactic way. Um, and so there we go. I would say though, John, that if I'm honest, uh, because Courtney's been selling remote viewing products to uh, to people that essentially are his clients, you know, with his videos going back, probably, I mean, I've stopped working with him for about three and a half, four years now, and I did work with him on RV projects that he sold for four years. So he must be He's probably the longest and most successful RV business out there, whether you like it or not, really. Yeah, I mean, he surpassed Dames, I think, in some ways, who had a similar person and had to be very good at public, at marketing and public publicizing. Furthermore, I think Courtney, like, you know, he's a professor of mathematics and also social science at Emory University. He speaks Swahili. He wants to bring remote viewing to Africa. You know, all these are impressive and good things. But... Um, I guess I'm going to go say it, you know, he thinks he's one of the world's best researchers on remote viewing. And I don't know a single professional researcher who thinks, who agrees with him at all. And most won't have anything to do with him. So, you know, look into it, see what you think for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with you, but yeah, at the same time, you know, he's, he's had a, you know, I got to be honest, he's had a successful business selling products and paying remote viewers for nine years. Yeah, very impressive. Yeah, and as as we just discussed and found out, there there are there are not a lot of companies actually able to do that. Indeed. Yeah, but as I said, it's uh, it's interesting that both us and Courtney have gone down a different route, and it's yeah, infotainment and content rather than hard nose business to client PDF kind of here's your report kind of information. I still don't think, and you know, I've been in this selling. RV services for at least a decade now. I still don't think that that's that's possible as a full time proper business for anyone. It's just it just isn't there. Yeah, and the third model is the one that Marty Rosenblatt is trying to create. Tried to create an APP where you sort of make make become a millionaire slowly, and that's going very 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 slowly too. <laughs> you know, trying to predict outcomes of games both in groups and in individuals and 
And um, you know, I did work with Marty for four years very closely and respect him and uh, admire his, his, his stick-to-itiveness. He'd been at it longer than anybody, really. But that model, too, doesn't seem to be working. And, and, and crypto viewing with you, Daz, and, and uh, Courtney's uh, method seem to be generating a lot more interest and also money for the people doing it. Yeah. I think it's because it um, it it's moved and it come about in in cohesion with the way people now uh, receive their information, which is you know, and we're all we're all a bit too old for this really as well. Um, the younger generation, I, I see it in my my son and my grandson every day. Everything they do is digital content you know they would they um like uh, my son you know who's in his 20s he would not sit down and read a 20 page pdf document it's just it's just not anything he would do but he will sit down um or or while he's working or on his break or anything and watch a 20 minute youtube video yeah absolutely so and courtney was uh, very keen he's very good technically with his videos and everything too and got the latest equipment uh and, and you were too when you were doing those live demonstrations um, so absolutely, that's the way to go. And um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks, thanks for those views. Yeah. yeah. Well, if we, if we, if any of you guys out here think of any other businesses, maybe we can, uh, uh, maybe John, what we can do is start a, a thread or a poll on the Facebook group and see if we can collect as much information on it as possible. Good idea. Good idea. Yeah. I'm just wondering if there's some sort of experiment we can do along the lines that John was talking about, detecting numbers. You know, just detecting, you know, not necessarily future numbers, just detecting numbers. That sounds really valuable. Well, I, I've played and I've showed many times that I actually do it with physical numbers. And, you know, when it comes to the lottery as well, you don't even need, uh, you know, because I've been playing with the Euro Millions, which is like 50 numbers, but you don't need 50 numbers. You just need the digits zero to nine to make any of the numbers. So if you get those dang part, that you can recognize zero zero to nine then you can pretty much make any number from those um, um yeah just a little uh tidbit here i came across a upon a research paper this morning while i was going through my files which indicated that um when you're trying to remote trying to get numbers uh, psychically the first and last digit are more likely to be accurate i guess the guy did a study of that and there's some indication of that also in the stargate archives about some of the experiments they did. And I noticed it myself the other day, actually, in, in a lottery that I did after a long layoff, got the first and last digits, actually, in the winning numbers. So I don't know if there's something, you know, there's all these factors to look at. Um, there's also, like, whether it's a two-step process. I discussed that in the video with Jeff Mishlov, uh, so I won't repeat it here. But whether uh, actually getting the numbers would be, would be uh, benefited by doing a two-step or, or even three-step process which actually Ingo is doing, rather than a one-step process of like an immediate sense impression, which you sometimes get, and which I sometimes get. So there's these several variables to explore, and this is really has been a neglected field for 20 years. So now that there's a little more interest, I hope it, it gathers and all these new people are flooding into the field. So maybe some will uh, have some particular skill at it too. So that's right, Don. Let's, let's explore different uh, alternatives there for that. You know, the one experiment that I've done at home, I have a projection alarm clock. It shows up on the ceiling. And before I open my eyes, uh, either to get out of bed in the middle of the night or before I get out of bed in the morning, is I will guess what the number is. And, uh, I, <clears throat> excuse me, 
I've seen a, a, a very high correspondence when there's numbers like 619, where they're, you know, if you invert them, they're the same. Okay, 111, 101. Um, you know, if you invert them, they're, they're still the same. Okay, um, uh, where I run into problems is where, you know, you get the curvy numbers, like a five, you know, it's got that curve under there. Well, I might perceive that as a three or a six. Um, but yeah, there's, there's, I'd like to pursue this. This is an interesting idea. Well, here's another little facet for you, Don. So Ingo Swan was trying to differentiate between curvy numbers and straight symbols. And he would count it a hit if he got the curvy number as opposed to a straight number. So again, there's so many little variables here that haven't been explored. Uh, I'm glad you're interested too. So, so let's stay in touch about that if you, if you keep asking. Uh, definitely. Well, uh, let me tell you this. Before, I don't want to hog this, but um, my daughter and I were playing Guess the Card. And she had a, a regular deck of playing cards. She drew a card. I was laying down on a sofa. And um, so um, the first thing I tried to decide was whether the color was warm or whether it was cold, red or black. I decided that it was cold. So then the next thing I decided was, um, am I getting like a pointy shape or a leafy shape? You know, is it uh, a club or a spade? And I got a leafy shape. So then the next thing was, am I seeing a face card or dots? And I was not getting, you know, a facey type of thing. So it was dots. So then the next thing was, you know, try to, you know, is it like, you know, a, 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 a simple pattern like three or is it a square pattern? And I, it was a square pattern. So then finally I came up with, through a long series of these questions, four of clubs. And I said that, and she said, you looked. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't, you know, it was just like the right set of like perceptions, you know, are starting very small. So there's got to be a way to do this. I, I'm convinced there's a way to do this. If I could just add quickly to that, then I'll shut up. Um, so Kahu Dave, someone posted, Matt posted, have you ever tried it with a pack of cards? Guess, guess the card you pull from the deck without looking. So Ma Kahu Dave claims he has done a whole deck this way. And I've seen a video of another guy up in Seattle, his name's escaping my memory who uh, has a video of himself doing that. You know, cards are face down, he goes through all 52 and gets them all red or black. I think red or black is all he did. But anyway, so yeah, some people practice this and there's some skill apparently that you can develop or a natural ability that you have. Nice. <laughs> okay, well, back to you. John, guys. just to just to finish this up, um, do you have that document that we, uh, we, we were discussing in Irva the other day, um, the Chinese study with the numbers? Yeah, I, I could report on that, or maybe you remember it. I can't remember what it was called, but Don might find that interesting because they had a, they had, you know they had amazing hits there with getting the the letters. Well, shall I give a one minute rundown on that then? Yeah, yeah, that yeah. that was great. So I think the guy's name is Dong Shen or something like that, and they looked for ten years to find a person who could remote view with their skin, so to speak, and they found a teenage female in China who could do that, and they did. Unlike many of the Chinese tests about blind sight, they actually conducted this one very carefully um, and de in detail and very clearly written. And this 
girl, uh, her statistics like were one in 45 million or something, although they only did 39 trials. So uh, that should bears looking into and clearly the Chinese are, you know, totally op more open to this than a lot of the Western folks because of Qi and other things. Um, so yeah, that, that, that study should be also circulated. Might be on the. Uh, I think I may have posted it in the in my Facebook group, group Don. But it's got the results there, and she had some. She had some amazing hits, and it was like five, you know, five random characters at a time, and she was, you know, she was getting all five at a time in some of the hits. Yeah, right. there's that. Sounds like a valuable technique. I want to know that. Is do you have a link on that, Des, or can you post it? Uh, I don't have it right to hand, um, but I'm, I think I pasted it on my face, Facebook group. I'm not entirely sure, though. All right. So what is I'll, the name that I'm looking for again? I'll look for it, too. I might have it here on my desktop and stuff. Just to, and to, to be specific, the, the, when they tested her to see if she was any good, they gave her like, you know, ABC12. ABC12 was the first uh, test they gave her. She's blind, of course. It's, it's in, in envelopes. And then they gave her three tests. The third one was the same, ABC12. And they figured if she was faking, she wouldn't give the same answer twice. But she did. She gave the same answer twice uh, correctly, all five. So they said, wow, this, one, this young woman is really excellent. So that led to the further tests. OK, I'll try to find that for you. OK, that'd be great. Thank you. Thank you, Des. Yeah, no worries. Uh, Pablo, would you like to go next? I have been researching about this a little bit, and a few of the letters uh, or a few of the discussions between Ingo and Mishlo, for example, point me into a direction of the, you know, a little bit more on cognition and neural connections. So I did, oh, many years ago, uh, a few years of applied math, and there I, I saw things that, you know, were never taught at college or even school level that were so basic and so simple, and you thought completely different about math, right? So I kept researching, and one of the things, I'm not sure if you can see this book, it's called Where Mathematics Come From. So this is from uh, Lakoff. That this guy has been studying you know, cognition on this, this type of stuff. And basically, the question is whether mathematics exists as something natural or it's completely made up. And independently of that, there's a cognition function that, that more or less works around it. So the idea I've been working on is whether that could help in the RV of letters and numbers. One of the other differences I found out is, for example, Western versus Eastern alphabets and ways of writing and understanding are completely different at a cognition level. So that also is shedding probably not light at this moment. But I think that what I found so far is that the, the mental process for people to understand actual numbers or what they're being used for is what differentiates the results you will get from RV. So you may be even using numbers for a completely different thing, you know? So cognitively and even mathematically, if you use them to represent the hours on, on a clock, it's completely different when you're using that, for example, to, to show order or to show, you know, just summing up of quantities. So that, that uh, if I am able to find more time and get some more results on that, we'll, we'll share them with everyone. But my, my, my final point here is that we may need to go a little bit deeper into what actually mathematics uh, is doing to the brain and how we could perceive that through remote viewing rather than just focusing on the symbols, right? That, that's the only thing I wanted to share. For me, see, it's hard because, and I, I've played with numbers quite a lot and I'm playing with them right now, in, in that 
numbers only have a value for me in day-to-day use when they are representing a thing you know like five five apples for example uh, without the apples the five is is irrelevant so in reality for me numbers are just uh just just or ideograms really for for collections of things um so that's why i think it's uh problematic because depending on what you're looking at as Pablo has just said they it, it, it use changes every time you you pick something with it i think that's that that's the issue i'm having Excellent. So let's have a look in the window here, see what question. Uh, anyone else in the chat want to ask a question? I think Henny had her hand up for a while, and she did an interesting project that I've been trying to get her to talk about the last uh, couple of weeks, if she's, if she's still there. Yeah, but why I had my hand up was related to uh, remote viewing numbers and letters. Uh, some some part of the team or our current team we have been doing some arv targets previously and we worked with uh, the pool of martin zwarik in which uh, i think random collections of uh, images from the net were pulled and were automatically chosen for targets and sometimes we came across uh, arv targets that were supposed to be the good feedback that were logotypes or letters like Google and stuff like that. And when we were doing the uh, sessions, because we are mainly CRVers or RVers, we don't use the short form. Like we don't just do the diagram and few sketches and move on. We usually go as we would progress with a normal session. So we we went for those. <laughs> we went for those logos, <laughs> but they turned out to be logos. And what was interesting is our minds or our sessions were uh, representative of the shapes that were part of the letters that came back as a feedback. But we, we made like man-made structures out of that out of them. So it was possible to get the shapes. Um, even the colors, the background, but we, we, we thought that we were looking at actual like structures, man-made structures. So I guess there is some way of doing remote viewing on written text or on numbers, but the recognition part or the cognition part is probably going astray somewhere in the session. Does anyone else have anything they want to add right now on the numbers in ARV stuff? Is that yes? No? No. Excellent. Let's move on to something else then. I'm just trying to catch up on the chat window here a minute. So John's posted the link to that article if anyone wants to find the link to that. I did have the uh, article here on my desktop but I moved it the last couple of days and in amongst my junk of files, I can't, I can't find it right now. Can't see any more. Questions. I would like to hear about Henny's latest project. Yeah, I think we should get her to talk about it a bit, if, if she doesn't mind. I'm okay. We are okay with it. Yeah, go for it. Oh, so now I just speak. <laughs> this <is> yeah. <laughs> oh, so do you want yeah, to ask questions? <laughs> do you want to give people a little bit of an overview of it? 
because um, I don't. I'm not sure if everyone's seen the link to it on 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 your f- website or on my Facebook page. Yeah. And while you do, I'll I'll post a link to it in the uh, in the uh, chat window. Okay, so I'm gonna be. Uh, do you hear me, Ivan? Because usually they tell me that I cannot be heard too well. Um, this was a project that was inspired by. I probably think everyone has seen, or most of you have seen, an earlier project that has been done on the same piles of rocks, um, and uh, it was done by really, really good operational remote viewers, uh, whom I don't name out of respect because I'm not sure if they would like to be associated with the target or not. Um, so I liked that project uh, because I was I had the opportunity to see them working like full sessions, uh, completely taped, and um, and it was fun. But I had some reservations with regards to the findings, uh, and it was something like I, I found it interesting. So just out of fun, I texted it to Patrick at one time and he said, oh, do you have a target? And I said, okay, well, yeah, I have a target for you. So I tested it to Patrick and uh, what made me do it into or make it into a project was the fact that he came back with uh, data, which we shared in the discussion, uh, which implied that there might have been some manipulation uh, that was done to the footage or the photo, uh, photo that I used for feedback. And this is how I decided, okay, I can pass it as a project. And it went out to six viewers. Um, all of them did one, one original session. And if you have read the article or if you have seen the video, I after the first set of sessions, I had to be a bit sneaky. And while we were working on our next project, I retasked it. <laughs> so they did actually two sessions each. Uh, on the target. Uh, it was the rocks uh, that are behind um, astronauts Neil Young and um, I won't remember, Charles Duke uh, on the 16th Apollo mission. And the original uh, project suspected that it might be a man-made formation, not a natural rock formation. So my task was exactly the same question. Uh, what is the unknown? Is it a, of a man-made origin or is it a natural origin? And, uh, in all three settings. Uh, yeah, that's the video. <laughs> that's Charles Duke speaking. You can almost get local vertical on the shovel because you have to bounce before to stand up. Okay. All right, so yeah, that's part of the video. Uh, that is how it starts. And then we have a presentation there about the findings. I try to collect all the data into pieces of fitting information. And then we have the video. Uh, I would say that uh, I'm quite undecided or we are quite undecided because there, there was a lot of data that indicated what looks like an impact and uh, molten uh, metallic material flowing and energetics moving around the site. Uh, people like John Dixon had processes of diamond formation and something getting crusted. So there were almost an equal amount of data indicating that it was some kind of natural force that created those boulders there. But we had really interesting data uh, that indicated that it might have been not natural, but man-made origin. Uh, 
It did before I picked it up. Shortly, that's it. <laughs> Penny, so... Uh... But, uh, I have to be honest, I've been very critical, not of your project, but I've, I was critical of the original project many times with uh, Jerry, the guy that ran the project. Um, because, you know, the... Uh, yeah, the going in the I was worried, and I'm still am worried, that when he, when they were doing the RV sessions originally, the uh, he was the tasker, and he was the monitor in the room as well. So he was monitoring the remote viewers, and he knew what the target was, and he had a predetermined idea what the target was. Um, which worried me immensely. Um, of which we've had very heated arguments online about because he claims that all my, all my thoughts on this are incorrect. Yeah, but even even some of the remote viewers, and you know, one of them in particular, uh, remote viewing CRV trainer, like who was one all... of the remote viewers, is very critical of of, <laughs> of his results. Um. And I just don't see it. I just don't in in you know because he sent me loads of pictures of it. And he says that you can clearly see that this rock isn't a rock; it's a piece of machinery. And I look at it and I go, it just looks like a rock. I'm just can. Uh, what do you think your results are indicating? Are they indicating that it's more natural, or are they indicating that it's more mechanical? Uh, one of it, I, I would say it's like, well, I don't want to speak in, in, in the stead of the viewers, but we had a discussion on that. Uh, most of them said they actually made me feel it was man-made. Uh, I, as an analyst, would say there is about the same amount of the, uh, data saying it's man-made or natural origins. Uh, why I test again uh, is because it went through my mind. I'm practicing also with like low entropy, that's my cat behind me, uh, with, with boring targets or low entropy targets. And it only occurred to me afterwards that if I task a walk and it's a walk, then the viewers might go to the next most attractive, most energetic thing happening there, which might be the astronauts being there. I don't know if you've seen the analysis, but I had some of the drawings uh, popping up in the data, which is really similar to how um, the module, the command module that keeps rotating, orbiting around uh, the moon surface uh, while the astro astronauts land. So there were like visual similar similarities between the orbiting module, which had one astronaut up there, uh, and and some of the sketches of John Dixon. So you just have to keep in mind all these possibilities when, when you are analyzing this data. That, okay, if I task rock and it's really boring, the viewer might just wander off. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I say I'm critical on, on the original project. And although I wasn't on video because I didn't live in the States, uh, I did actually work the same project and targets for jerry back in the days and my data did indicate back then of some kind of structured man-made craft as well it's just that when i look at the the feedback location of the rocks i just personally don't see it but there again i have got my my own data and to add to this as well and add, to add to your project i've actually been tasked the exact same target by three different people now uh over a period of 10 years and all three times that i've done it i have got the very i've drawn the exact same shapes and i've got the very same man-made structures so yeah, i'm 
this is what you see in our project when and when when I asked, they said that, yeah, it's like during their sessions, it felt more man-made. What we have to keep in mind with those photos, I think I have uploaded one which is like color contrasted and it shows more of the angular parts, but these rocks have been laying there and have been, you know, sedimenting for millions of years. Yep. So actually for us not to pick up that much of of the actual potential man-made nature might be just the fact that it's been laying there and it's been going through this sedimentation process for like literally millions of years. Yeah. Or we could all just be picking up on what the tasker wants us to report, I guess. Yeah. We have to consider that as well, don't we? Yeah. Lack of information. Yeah. But it's interesting, yeah. Or, or maybe because the moon's a bit boring, maybe we're not all looking at the rock. Maybe we're going to the next closest interesting thing that's there and picking up that. That's what I was thinking about. Yeah. Future, like future, future human yeah. settlement. <laughs> I, I have to consider all this because every, you know, over decades now, every remote viewer that I know, and I've collected hundreds of sessions on this now, that have been sent to the moon and Mars have all picked up weird man-made looking structures you know it's not just one remote viewer it's like loads and loads of them i got in, in records and, going back decades uh, i was trying to keep uh, the data re referencing to uh, alpha and foxtrot and the other viewers being there their findings i watched through all of them uh, when i was doing the analysis and there is a staggering amount of data repeating in their sessions and what our viewers were picking up in terms of Gemma and I will have to remember what was the code name, I think, Bravo, uh, really similar impressions. Uh, Gemma and Margot Jaffa and Alpha, really similar impressions. So they were like repeating, repeating, repeating pattern structures, functions. Uh, I just was not emphasizing it. So what Nick uh, or uh, yeah, Nick said, Maybe we were remote viewing the other people, remote viewing the sessions or the, the video, uh, because some of them watched the videos afterwards when I linked the project uh, feedback. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely interesting. As uh, So for all you guys, the link's in the... Uh in the chat there so i recommend you go and have a look at the website and have a look at the other projects as well that henny and her group are doing they've been doing some great work out there and thanks thanks for sharing that with us henny as well is, is, oh has anyone else got any questions they want to ask on this project oh, i do there's something that um <clears throat> there's a this whole thing about your mind drifting if you don't understand what you're looking at or if you're looking at a photoshopped version of a photo where it was a man-made, but somebody airbrushed it into a piece of rock or something like that, you know, you know, if, if your mind doesn't realize, you know, this is something interesting, will it like move over to the Apollo capsule itself sitting over there a couple of yards away? You know, is there, is there any way to tell? Well, you just tested me on that yesterday, so. <laughs> <laughs> no. Henny's <clears throat> referring to a practice. Henny's <laughs> referring to a practice target where she was drawing things so accurately, decided to give her a a, um, a difficult target, which was a crushed soda can. It was all bent up. It didn't have any like recognizable shape. 
And I photographed this on the kitchen sink. And what did I get back was a kitchen sink and things in the kitchen sink, like a sponge and whatever. Um, that's very interesting, really. I think that's interesting data. It's like your mind, if it doesn't recognize it, it just moves on to something it does. I think that's um, I think that's how AOLs form as well, Dom, because um, and why in CRV the uh, when they train you to do like the sensory stuff, and Paul Smith does this a lot, is that you uh, and I've recommended it to my students as well. When you're going out for walks and stuff, touch and, and touch, taste, feel, and sense as many things, build an internal library as much as possible. Because what I found with RV is the more memories and internal uh memories and database and feelings and everything that it can access uh to describe the targets the more accurate the data but once something's missing then rv doesn't know what to do because it's i think it relies on your past you know your past database to form those impressions and if henny hasn't got any intimate kind of feelings of a crushed can and drawing a crushed can then it it bypasses it and moves to the next thing that it can describe this is so interesting. I mean, there's so many interesting aspects to this thing that we're all sort of like, you know, dancing around, but we really don't know how, how, to, how to deal with it. Yeah. Experience yeah. as much as possible, I can say. Because, for example, I know from experience as well that targets where I've been to them in real life, like, you know, because I've been inside the pyramids and stuff, I nail those targets every time I get a pyramid target because... I have all these intimate connections with it. I was there, I sensed it, I smelt it, I touched it. I knew what the dimensions are intimately by being by the side of it, that kind of thing. And I think, you know, I think that goes for all of us. Things that we know from day-to-day -day life that we've done over and over that we know and we've got this database of with us internally, they're easy for us to do as targets. But yeah, good point. Because they're a bit more obscure, then that's when your memory or whatever the process is starts grappling for other information. And usually the next piece of information that isn't in your database internally is slightly incorrect. And that's where the AOLs come from, where it's got a bit of real information, but it's got bad information because it's not, it's not the exact piece of information in your internal database. I wanted to add something if I could on this. I think that's a really uh, critical point that uh, you just made, Don and, and Henny, um, about the lack of gestalt for a crushed can. Uh, Gary Langford, who was one of the original researchers who came up with a proposal for CRE, um, made the point later on when he sort of discarded CRV and said he had a much better method that Actually, what we're looking at when remote viewing is the borders between things. Now, a crushed can doesn't have a recognizable border, whereas your sink objects do. So I think that's a really important point. I hadn't actually come across that before, such a clear example. So thanks for that, guys. Well, I'm, I'm appreciating what Daz was just saying about that's how AOLs are formed. I think that's going to stick in my brain for a while. That's only my that's only my personal personal interpretation is I find that if I haven't got the exact experience that I've had experienced of that thing in real life, you know, and it's not in my knowledge, then my internal process goes for the next best thing that that is in my experience. And that next best thing isn't 100 percent fit, which is why the AOLs usually aren't 100 percent fit. You know, they're they're 50 percent real information, 50 percent wrong, because it, it, I just didn't have the internal capability to describe it i just didn't experience it you well, know so, this just 
This just goes to show you that every remote viewing session is an experiment, whether you hit the target or not. In this case, didn't hit the target, but the data was really revealing. You got jumped over to something else. I think that's really important. You learn more from your, your misses than you do your hits every single time. Hmm. I think this goes back to Ingo Swan saying that Hella Hammond was given a target. I think it was a nuclear or something yeah. massively explosive. And she came up with a teapot, which was the closest her experience <laughs> took her. So Daz is amplifying that initial point that Ingo made a long time ago. And another facet of that is if your vocabulary is really extensive, that can help also in describing uh, things. It's sort of a diff slightly different point, but uh, people made that when I was training, you know, the more vocabulary you have, and that's why people circulate these lists of uh, feelings or senses or colors. So that's another aspect to it. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. For, and thanks for sharing that, honey. Um, we're going to look forward to all your new projects that you put up. We want, we want first access. <laughs> uh, are there any more questions or anything anyone wants to share? Um, yeah. Uh, John I said, I was talking about Jerry Harfcock. Yeah, it was, it was Jerry Harfcock that did the, the initial project. And I was tasked it three times. I was tasked the same target. Like, actually, I'll put the link in the window as well. I was tasked the same target once by Jerry, uh, once by uh, Rick, and once by Courtney Brown, all over a period of 10 years as well. And it's the same targets that, or in the location of where Henny's group worked, and also the original group worked as well. What's ever happened to Jerry Harthcock? He did some uh, important work back there 10 years ago, hired people, trained people, paid people. Uh, it seems to pop up once every five years with a comment and then goes away. He's He was online a month ago saying that he had a patent for some kind of consciousness gateway technology or something. Um, I... I don't know to be honest on any of that, but yeah, he did pay. He, I know he did pay for a lot of training with Paul Smith and fund fund a lot of work back in the days. But I think he also fell out with uh, Paul Smith. And uh, also, if if you haven't seen his work, it used to be online. It may still be where he has this technology which shows the remote viewer viewing an outline, and also you can see the session at the same time. And he had some, uh, he had Paul and, and Lynn Buchanan and some others, and Laurie, I think, all viewing this target on uh, this uh, supposed crashed ship, I guess, on the moon. Yeah, so that's, that's the one we're talking about. Looking at yeah. if you want to see how Paul Smith remote views or, or the other folks do. Yeah, just bear, um, there are discussions about it online if you if you want to search it on the uh, Facebook groups. Uh, it, but it does get quite heated between at least myself and Jerry and even Paul Smith at times because... I remember a couple of years ago, I dragged Paul Smith into it because he was one of the viewers and Paul was saying that he didn't agree with the the project setup and the analysis and, and a lot of other things as well. So, you know, I have to bear that in mind. They also did the sunken object in the Baltic Sea, which uh, Paul and others got as the Millennium Falcon out of Star Wars. It's this vast um, uh, thing at the bottom of the ocean, nobody knows quite what it is that it resembles the Millennium Falcon, but whether it is the divers have had all kinds of trouble, equipment's gone blank when they've gone down there. I haven't seen an update on that in a couple of years, but that's another one that uh, Jerry Hartcock had these top viewers do. Yeah. All interesting yeah. stuff. 
You know, I, I've got to ask a question here, and that was, um, you mentioned about Jerry and the tasking setup, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, a number of us are trying to do practice targets, and we're, we're creating taskings. Um, how do you create a tasking without having an opinion on it, right? I mean, that was what you were saying, Des, that, you know, he had an opinion, you were picking up his opinion. So... Possibly. I mean, at this stage, because there's lack of feedback, you can't, I don't think you can throw that possibility out the window uh, that we might just be remote viewing what they want us to remote view. Right. So is there any way to, I mean, can you, can you go into a project as a tasker and not have an opinion on it? Like, you know, I don't care. I don't really care I, what this is. I don't believe so. Some people think you can, but I think, you know, everything that I task there's a part of me in there and I have, I have an opinion. You can't rule that out in some way. The, but you know, I do try when I task, even though I may have a strong opinion of the target, I do try to word it and try when I'm creating the task to be as objective as possible. And in the tasking of the wording of it, try not to slant it. You know, like if you were doing the, the, the moon artifact things that we're talking about, I wouldn't write a tasking that says, the remote viewers to describe the, the 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 crashed alien ship on the on the moon because yeah. that is the 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 literal be, wording it's of it. yes it's it's too biased you know you at the very very least even if you have an opinion on it which is quite strong you should try to be as totally unbiased as possible in your in your tasking wording and intent when you're creating the project but i think it's a, a and you know this goes back to many discussions we've had and i've had and wrote articles on I think that uh, uh, an undiscovered proportion of all remote viewing is in at some level based on a telepathic connection between mm -hmm. everyone involved in the project. Um, you know, because we're doing things blind and we, we, we know what the tasker wants us to get. There is a connection there. All right. So presently the state of the art is just trying to use very neutral task wording. Is yeah, like, but I would also say that if you're a remote viewer in training for the first two or three years or more, don't be involved and don't do any targets that don't have 100% solid feedback. Learn your art first. Know what you're doing. Know yourself and how you work and know your um, trust in your own ability so that at some point in the future when you do do the targets with less feedback... You have a track record. You know yourself. You know if you're going wrong, where you're going wrong. I wouldn't. I wouldn't as a trainee person. No, I. I, I never did that. I wouldn't do it. It's just not part of CRG training. You don't do these kind of targets until you're competent enough. And that's. But you know, you guys can do whatever you want. I'm just, you know, giving you a little bit of advice. Uh, if you go down that route too early, when you don't know yourself, it's hard to determine if it's reality or if it's if it's coming from you or where it's coming from yeah no i get that definitely it's a it's a fine it's a fine line it's a very fine line because at the same time doing targets for the eiffel tower and you know bridges and stuff like that and canyons and waterfalls can get boring really fast mm -hmm. yeah so it's a yeah it's hard it's a hard mix but you know there are plenty of sexy targets you can do out there that do have in my opinion quite a lot of feedback you know i would like for example i would say that the uh the nimitz tic tac ufo event would be a fairly good woo woo target to do 
because you have lots of witness testimony and we have video film. I mean, you can't say, you can't feed back exactly what, what's driving or inside that object, but you know that there was a physical object that was picked up by cameras and seen by eyes. So that kind of thing, I think, is, would be a valued one to do. Um, but something like a, a, just a general ball of light in the sky with no, you know, maybe a, si a single image, no video, one witness that thing that i think you just there's just nowhere near enough information to be able to to verify anything valid mm -hmm. okay thank I'd you like throw in on that if i could you know we did hundreds of targets in transdimensional systems in three years and this issue of whether the tasker has a, a bias or an opinion i don't know we did so many of them i would say that you know yeah you actually don't have a particular opinion uh, if you're trying to find a mosque somewhere or a, a pyramid, you may have an impression of it, and it's that's with you. And that's someone's asking in the chat, you know, where, how does the viewer get the information? Is it from the intent of the tasker? I tend to think it is, but I don't speculate much on this because we don't really know. But I just want to say, I don't. I think you can do plenty of targets without a, a presupposition that the tasker is going to have a bias. It just depends on what it is. If it's Maddie, Maddie. Uh, what's her name, Maddie? You know, the disappeared that we did that jazz for many years. So, Madeline McCann. Madeline McCann. You know, a viewer might have an opinion. Yeah, I think she, she's dead. I don't think she's dead. I think this guy did. I think that guy did. So that can definitely matter. But if you're just doing, especially, especially practice targets, I don't think the bias uh, need not need, need enter into it. When yeah. we did the uh, remote viewing, Nina uh, uh, Rise of Murder that I, I guess I posted somewhere recently. Daz was a viewer on that, and. Uh, I knew going in, I mean, my, my bias was that, yeah, Hans Reiser had done it. This is a murder in Oakland. I wrote up a long paper that is published uh, online. And Daz uh, got some amazing data on that. Um, but so I had a bias about who did it, but I didn't have a bias about where it was done and, and all the other stuff. So that can factor in too. But for sure, uh, in a murder case, you have to be careful if the person asking has, a, has a definite ideas and knows the scene or it's remote from him. Um, well, my general point is that you can do plenty of tasks without tasker bias, in my opinion. All right, thanks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I totally agree with John there. I think it's not a problem on practice targets. It's on the ones with uh, a bit more woo-woo and, and with not enough feedback. Maybe maybe it works a bit like with the, uh, I think, how the internal things work with us in, you know, when we don't have a Rolodex of information. Maybe it might work on the same level, whereas uh, if the target's a bit more woo-woo and there's not enough feedback, um, the uh, the process grabs at the next best thing to get information, which may be a bit more about the intent and drive of the tasker rather than, you know, because there's nothing else to fill the void kind of thing. Again, we don't know, and that's what I keep telling people, we don't know enough about how much, about how all this works. You know, if we if we could at some point get a bit more of an understanding of how RV works, we could we could quite more uh, quite easily and better uh develop it further you know tweak it get that little bit more out of the engine know how to enhance it but at the moment we're just all shooting in the dark here this brings up the question of um this happened to me okay i was starting to wonder whether i was remote viewing the picture as opposed to the event um it was almost like cheating you know, I don't really want to run out to this particular location. Let me just look at the picture, talk about the picture. Um, 
you know, I don't want to do that. I just, uh, you know, you know, how do I train my subconscious actually go to the location? Set your own, set your intent as you're doing it. But, you know, as you're doing, sitting down to do the session, you know, I have a mantra or something I say to myself, you know, and I say to myself, okay, I'm going to go out and I'm going to get the information from the target, not the feedback, but the target that the, the, the tasker wants. So you're like setting your own internal focus. You know, you're saying to yourself, this is what I want. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I've been trying that the last few times and it does seem to help. Yeah, definitely. So we'll see. Excellent. Sasha, you've had your hand up for a long time. Go for it. Okay, I'm going to try to do this. <laughs> um, there's a pre-verbal language that we have access to naturally uh, that's conceptual. And what I found is when the notions that are, that I still, that my brain still relies on that language um, for are the ones that are maybe too complex as units, right? Um, to just be easily translated into verbal descriptions, into concepts that I can think about in words. So when there's a concept that's too complex that I can't think about in words, then that pre-verbal language kind of seems to kick in where you're grasping the information in a pre-verbal way. And I'm just wondering if, if by practicing accessing that language through, I guess, exposing ourselves to like high information density texts or things that are really pushing the limits of our cognitive abilities would help us not just to better understand what's happening with RV, but also to better develop it. Because I, I've been thinking about this and I actually think that it's, it's using the same process. It's using that same pre-verbal language ability. Um, does that, does anyone, do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, can I get all a cult, please? <laughs> yes. Um, sorry. So, in the cult is tarot cards and all the rest. Um, sorry, my dog is running fast now because I'm talking. Um, there is this, this idea of universal language, which is emotional, symbolic. It, it's not verbal. Um, our verbal languages, we can translate stuff roughly from the universal language into them, but that's not the same thing. So maybe when you're trying to remote view complex concepts and you feel you have to resort to that universal language, I mean, maybe, maybe it's not because the primary thing is the verbal language and the universal language is secondary. Dog, wait. Shush. You know, that I would say the universal language of feeling, um, you know, you start that in stage one. What does this ideogram feel like? And then you translate that feeling into words, right? I would say that language is the fundamental language of our data. And there's no verbal component to it at all. That's just our process of bringing it into terms that we can understand and share with other people. And it's always going to be wrong and it's always going to be inaccurate. And it's always going to be an approximation of what we perceived. You know, I, I just reminded of a session I did on uh, the Oxford AstraZeneca COVID vaccine and whether there were unknown health effects of it. And I did like a really happy, happy, joy, joy session. 
but I at one point I perceived the spike protein and it looked like this like crazy big swirling mandala thing. It had all these colors in, it looked incredible. And what I drew was like a triangle with a little spiral. Like I drew this crap picture because I, I just couldn't express it. Um, and I think when we have, when we express things in language in you know English or whatever language you're remote viewing in, we're doing the same thing as I was doing when I had that incredible perception and I just drew a shitty triangle, you know, it's, it's always a, uh, a dumbing down of the real data. Okay. I'm done. I'll put my tarot cards away now. Thank you. Mm. But <laughs> yes. Um, and I think, I think it's that idea of practicing remote viewing is one thing, but maybe practicing that translation of, when you're in that stage, when you're reading something maybe where every word, instead of referring to something simple, a noun, an object, um, it's referring to maybe like nested relationships. Um, and especially I think in academia where a lot of the words that you're using refer to really complex notions. And so if you have a paragraph or even a sentence, you're not just describing, you know, this object did this action. You're describing these really complex thoughts. And I think that that pushes you to have to rely a little bit more on that pre-verbal notional language because you can't hold all the words to describe all the information uh, in your mind in that moment. So you have to rely on that. You have to translate it into a lower level conceptual meaning thing, you mean? Yes. Yes, yeah, so you're basically just holding on to these these complex notions on your fingertips, right? I mean, um, yeah, and I'm of. wondering if, if maybe we on could your fingertips, maybe it's in your subconscious. Well, so I'm wondering if we could use that then, if we could test that maybe to see if you're practicing pushing yourself with uh, material that has really high information density that pushes you into that stream of thinking that is notional rather than leaving you in the simple verbal thinking. Drawing us back into the conversation about the difficulty of remote viewing numbers, but when, when it's abstract concepts that are created in language and academia and logic, um, if you try to take those and directly translate them back into a body feeling, into the kind of feeling that you would have when you're remote viewing it, try and translate those into the universal language. And it's very difficult. They're very, very dry. Um, there's very little to them. Um, they, uh, if you if you take the universal language as a state space that's like that big, you know the the concepts you can express with language is a subset of that. It's much smaller, um, and that's why language is a useful tool. You know, and we don't all just say like, "Oh, I feel like this." Just tell about you know, like. It's good, but it's it's a little narrow subset of those kind of ideas that we can express. So I think I disagree, although I disagree lightly. Um, I, I think the the all those brain twisting and academic passages are like there's such a narrow extent of what you can feel in a remote viewing session. Um, so maybe you could increase the accuracy with which you could perceive narrow linguistic 
constructs and abstract concepts and things by doing that. Um, but I don't think you're going to you're going to improve the breadth of perceptions that you can have, um, which links in with the idea that um, a doctor who is trained as a remote viewer is going to be better at doing medical things. An engineer is going to be better at doing engineering things because they have the language, they have the concepts, they know what those things feel like. You know, they can look at a body and go, oh, there's something down here and perceive it and go, oh, that reminds me of cancer. You know, and they have the feeling. It's not a word. You know, like yeah. a humor doesn't have the word cancer attached to it. There is a feeling. And that doctor has come across lots of people with cancer and they recognize the feeling. And now they remote view it and they have the same feeling and they recognize it. And it's not because it's a complex concept. It's because it's a, it's a thing. It's a pattern that's emerged over and over again, just like the way young children learn words. Um, anyway, sorry, I'm, I'm rambling on now. And Henny has her hand up, so I'll shut up. It's too close to 11 p.m. to be doing philosophy. I think John wanted to add something as well, as well as maybe Henny. I just did in the, in the chat, so I'll leave it there. Thank you. Uh, Go for I'm, it, I'm just, yeah, I'm just uh, quick, uh, quickly going to say to Sasha, and Don can say yes or no, because he participated in that, but we have the upcoming project, which I won't name, if I <clears throat> say that it's 8429, and in that one, uh, I think Don was really happy when he got feedback. One of the tasks was actually a patent, a patent documentation, uh, and the remote viewers, none of them are engineers, and they were given a document. And uh, I can say that they did really good uh, in getting the concepts in terms of gestas, descriptors, and drawings down. So uh, what I'm trying to say is I think it is possible, even though we suppose that the subconscious does not have the conceptual understanding, uh, the viewers did really good with, with the patent, uh, in, which was not their field of expert, uh, expertise at all. So it, I think it's possible uh, to do even, even complex or abstract high-level uh, intellectual targets with remote viewing. Yeah, I, I agree on that. And I think, to be honest, for me, because I'm a creative, it, I find it much easier to sketch things out you know these complex kind of things from feelings rather than trying to express them in the words but i guess we're we're all individuals on that excellent so any more questions here guys because we're getting uh getting closest to two hours here now um so if we've got any more questions we can fit them in if not we can finish a little bit early No one in the participants window there want to say anything or ask anything or share anything? Oh, come on. We can't finish early. I think we should because no, no one's got any questions there. But I'll put a little link in the uh, in the chat window there uh, and I'll post it again just in case. But as I said, a lot of us usually after these, uh, after these chats, we all generally meet up on Discord and have a bit of a 
an after chat. Sometimes it gets a little bit playful and a little bit salty maybe for some of you but <laughs> feel free to come along and have have a chat with us we're usually at sometimes we're usually up for two or three more hours to be honest depends on the uh on on everyone's state and how many beers they've had so we'll leave it there for this one today uh, i want to thank you all for some absolutely fantastic sharing of information and, and tips and hints and everything there some really great content today and uh, things to definitely think about for the future all right, thanks, Des. Yep, so thank you, everyone. Have a great weekend, and I'm trying to arrange some more guests to come on, so just bear with me with this. It's a, it's a bit of a weird time all around at the moment. It's hard getting out of people. Thank you, Des. Good night. Have a great weekend. Night, Take care, thank everyone. You. Good night, folks. Night. Thanks for listening to The Signal Line, a remote viewing podcast. Don't forget to check out remoteviewed.com for remote viewing resources or our videos on YouTube under Remote Viewed.